Good evening, and welcome to The Dark Art, horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Marin Mascaro. And my name is Jake Conrad. The Dark Art is a double bill, and on this episode we look to the horror of the recent pandemic by viewing films that were released in 2021. First on deck's a campy romp through a sinister-themed restaurant with our favorite wild man, Nicolas Cage, in Willie's Wonderland. Then we'll check up on one of Hollywood's reigning goth queens, Megan Fox, as she fights her way to freedom from the old ball and chain until death. A twisted tale of a marriage gone terribly wrong. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films, and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. Okay, so Willie's Wonderland... A quiet loner finds himself stranded in a remote town when his car becomes inoperable. Unable to pay for the repairs he needs, he agrees to work off his debt overnight by cleaning Willie's Wonderland, an abandoned family fun center. But there's more to this wonderland than meets the eye, and our hero soon finds himself going toe-to-toe with possessed animatronic mascots to make it through until morning. Man, what a ride this was. I tell you, I was entertained start to finish. You know, <laughs> I I quite enjoyed it. It was so simple. Um, maybe that's what came out of the pandemic is just, you know, almost anything was exciting, first of all. We're so, you know, locked up and media was locked up. We're not going to theaters. I mean, I remember the first movie I went to in a theater. I don't even care what it was. I didn't care at the time. I was just so happy to have something. And so I think when, when this came out, I was surprised. I hadn't heard anything about it. I, for some reason, I, I got confused like a lot of people did that this was somehow tied to this uh, Five Nights at Freddy's uh, video game that the I video saw. Game yeah, I saw yeah. my kids playing that, you know. So when I saw this, I'm like, this has to be that, right? You know. But the more I watched, the more I realized that it it was just maybe a homage to or or something like that. But it it wasn't connected. Yes, it wasn't. But I, you know, I think it tapped into that same audience because I believe the people who want to play Five Nights at Freddy's are also the people who would be really really interested in seeing this movie and there's probably I'm not quite sure how the Venn diagram fits but also (laughs) those of us those of us who remember what Chuck E. Cheese used to be like in the late 80s early 90s when as a wonderful meme I saw put it when Chuck E. Cheese looked like he would full-on ash a cigar in your pizza I saw that meme, and I think towards the end of Chuck E. Cheese's reign of terror, it started to look a lot like Willy's Wonderland, like before Nick starts cleaning it, unfortunately. I mean, I remember, like, looking at the ball pit and thinking when my little three-year-old was wanting to go in there, I don't know. There's probably syringes, a homeless person. I, I don't know what's going on there. You know, I think it's one of the great, like, unspoken truths of our time that everybody found Chuck E. Cheese completely creepy because you see it in other media. Like, for example, like, even back 
when a Goofy movie came out. Goofy and Max go to a very similar place to Chuck E. Cheese where everything is very, very creepy and everyone is ill at ease. So. I, I enjoyed um, Nick Cage in this, but like I was saying before, this was a strange Nick Cage movie because the thing that makes a Nicolas Cage movie is how he freaks out and says things and how he screams and tantrums. And I mean, he, he, he won an Oscar for doing that. Um, not, not being a mime, being a mute. And yet that was the direction that this movie took. Um, I know that Nicolas Cage produced this movie, so I'm sure he could have this was one of those that was like a, a love child of a couple of filmmakers that hadn't done much for a while. And they were they found it and they were just, you know, all in. They knew that they wanted Nicolas Cage. He, uh, in, in like a day or two, he read the script and was all in and started, he was the one pitching the movie to uh, the, the financiers. And from what I understand, he was all in on this. So he, he was a big deciding factor in this character not speaking there's not a word spoken by this character the entire movie yeah we're we don't exactly see you know the that winning dialogue delivery that as you just said nick cage is known for and i mean probably one of his most infamous on-screen moments comes in another horror movie the wicker man where he freaks out about the bees (laughs) (laughs) so it was it was an interesting way to go it was like i I read um a review that said uh that talked about this idea of of having nicholas cage in a movie where nobody where he doesn't speak and it says to rob nicholas cage of a single line reading is like casting gene kelly to sit in a wheelchair through a whole movie and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> There's something <Yeah>. to that. <laughs> and, you know, I kept waiting for it. I thought it was going to be like a Silent Bob type of thing where at the very end of the movie he'd, like, pull his shades down and be like, let's kill these bitches or whatever he's going to say. You know, like, just the one line. But, no, it never came. Well, I so there was, it and it never came. There was one line at the end of the movie. I read an interview with the filmmaker. And it was exactly that. They wanted, like, a poppy one-liner, like um, Ash says in the Evil Dead 2 movies, like, where he says groovy and some of these things. And he was, I can't remember what it was, but it was something like that. And then they decided, nah, we're, we're not going to... In fact, what the filmmaker said, that they wanted to make Pale Rider, the Clint Eastwood, Pale Rider mm-hmm. versus killer clowns from outer space that's what he had in mind and i think that's what they delivered nailed it i'm serious like nailed it (laughs) (laughs) i guess if you're watching killer clowns from outer space you might start thinking what if some badass just came in and really took these clowns for a ride and that's what they did so i gotta say clearly you know, they, they painted this guy to be a veteran because you saw the dog tags in his rearview mirror Yeah. once you started the movie. And I have to say, even though he didn't, he didn't speak any words, the character backstory was impeccable. He's salty. He's silent. He's ready to take any excuse to beat some ass. He pounds energy drinks like there's no tomorrow. He loves video games. And he drives a Camaro. 
perfect. <laughs> they absolutely killed every aspect of that. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he, uh, I, <laughs> so I think his, they name him the janitor. He doesn't, we don't know his name, like you say. We know that he, there was a military, he had like military tags, didn't he? Like in his rear view or something? He, he did. Okay. And so the whole movie starts with him getting a, a flat tire that was obviously caused by somebody in this town. This is like a great horror trope where a town or, you know, a house or there's some setup that traps innocent you know, victims. And usually it's the, the sexy teens that are headed to the lake or um, something like that. And in this case, the fun part is, you know, what if this town or this haunted house or whatever it is trapped somebody that they should never have trapped? And that's exactly, you know, what happens with him. Um, he's the kind of person in this movie that you know, I, I think I've got a friend like this. Whenever I try to get him to watch a horror movie, he's just like, okay, just shoot him. You know, okay, just leave. Okay. And he's and his, everything he's saying is true. Like, and I think that he his imagination is such that that's exactly what he would do. I mean, he would just, okay, the bad guy, okay, shoot the bad guy. Um, in this case, Nick Cage... He's presented with these animatronic, like you said in the, we said in the intro, mascot mascots that come alive and try to kill him. And these are like, I don't know, because I guess they describe this situation. Um, the is it the police chief or the the female policeman uh, woman that talks about this place? Yes, um, they describe it as you know a possession, like it was it was done through a ritual. Okay. So. And that the the police woman is actually I don't know if you remember Donnie Darko, but the the lady from town who's she's like the uh, the Karen mom that that is uh, promoting Patrick Swayze in in Donnie Darko. So I, that's the only other movie I remember her from. So it was kind of fun to see her again. She hasn't. She looks the same. But. Yeah, I mean, we've we've observed this in other episodes. People who get into horror always circle back to horror. It's just kind of it's just kind of a club that you get into, and it's always fun to see people when they circle back. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So one of the running jokes that I really like, well, there were two that I really liked from the movie were. You know, it kind of has a video game feel. You have to beat the bosses one by one, you know? Yep. And every single time after the beatdown, he goes and he changes shirts. And then, <laughs> as he's waiting for the next one, he has to take a break. Pound an energy drink, play pinball, get back to work. Yeah, that is like it's a video almost, game. You know, it's almost like, yeah, a reset. It's like, okay, so now we're starting a new level. We pound our drink, we play our pinball, yeah. level three. It's know? always like that. You you defeat the, 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 the minor minion bad guy and your health is down. So you, you get to health up, they drop health around for you and you get all jack, jacked up again and you go back to work. So you're right. I like that. And these creatures are, are hilarious. I mean, I think that the first... There's one of them that was a puppet, from what I read, and all the rest were just guys in suits. 
and they're goofy and creepy and they look just like the what you'd see at Chuck E. Cheese, which is, it just shows how terrible that was to kids. These, we grew up and made movies about this. So it's like, oh, our, our collective trauma makes for such entertainment. <laughs> but the running joke is Nicolas Cage is unfazed. It, it, that's what happens in so many horror movies. The people are screaming, I, this can't be happening. I can't believe this is happening. This can't be. Ha-. And, and then the thing kills him because they're so busy saying, I just can't cope with the, the, this ghost or this clown or whatever it is. Nicolas Cage doesn't care in this movie. The janitor doesn't care what any of this stuff is. He sees the threat, he kills the threat. <laughs> I love that. Yep. He just shrugs it off. <laughs> he doesn't care. He wants his car back. That's the goal. But another thing that I thought was really interesting, as I watched this movie, I kept thinking to myself, this is a movie about a man who's locked in a building with possessed animatronics, and yet the most unbelievable part about this whole movie is how clean he's getting this dump. The whole like, time. I want to know what this magical elixir was that removes spray paint, marker, rust, blood, oil, and, like, removes grout stains. He, he doesn't switch cleaning products, and the place is sparkling. If the ShamWow guy could could pitch this thing, I'd buy it. I, I would. Oh, yeah. I'd buy it. I think every parent would buy it. I mean, I just four kept boys about and that. three dogs? Come on. I mean, we need that. I kept thinking about My Little Artist and how many times she has written with marker, crayon, pencil, uh, food on my walls. I'm like, if I could, if I could only get my house as clean as this guy is getting this place that is a complete train wreck... I would be so happy. <laughs> well, and it, it, as he kills these creatures at first, he's just, he chops them up. He puts them in a, in trash bags and he sets them out to be taken out the next morning. I mean, it, once he, he figures out that he's trapped in there, he doesn't, it doesn't change his behavior at all. Like the, when he first went in there and just started cleaning before he was attacked, it, you see his behavior when the next one attacks and the next one. It's almost like the, the it never had happened before. He just matter of fact kills him, and then, and the and the drink he's resetting. It's it's called punch, and it says on the the can a fistful of caffeine for your kisser, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was great. You know what? If they actually sold that, it would it would sell gangbusters. Why I'm have they convinced. not? <laughs> and I think I need one of those Willy Wonderland t-shirt, Willy's Wonderland t-shirts. I... Oh, me too. I was absolutely thinking that. <laughs> so another thing I noticed is that this movie, I think somewhere along the line, this is just my own personal theory, didn't read anything like this or anything to that effect, I believe that somewhere along the line, when they were developing this and putting the script out there, they thought, you know what? The story we have of this loner guy who comes in and beats down all these animatronics is a little bit simple. In order to truly make this the campy horror film that we want, we're going to have to check a few blocks on tropes. So in come the sexy teens. Right. I actually (laughs) rolled my eyes a little bit from it because I was enjoying what was happening so much. It was simple. I got what they were doing with it, but you know, they, it was so simple. It wasn't really enough to fill a whole movie. 
So they ha- kind of had to do something, I think. And they had all of our character tropes that you usually yep. have in a pack of sexy teens. We have the promiscuous girl, who, by the way, that character was like somebody watched a movie from the 70s who had a slutty girl in it and then described it to somebody <laughs> who was born in 2005. <laughs> she was so out of place it just made me cringe so hard but yeah it, okay. there's so, a couple cringy people in it for sure oh yeah so we have the slutty girl we have the bad boy we have the sensible guy we have the guy who's clearly gonna get killed immediately because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing and then we have the final girl. final girl and she was yeah. great i she thought was... she was awesome she was awesome. We knew from the beginning that she was a badass in the same vein of Nicolas Cage, and we know this because she had a motorcycle jacket and <laughs> combat boots. So they wanted to, you know, they were like, just so you guys know, this is the one who's going to make it to the end. Because you can see her outfit here. She's a badass. In case you didn't figure it out. As I say, so then, to that end, they're also like, okay, well, since we're bringing in the sexy teens, maybe we ought to check a few more horror blocks, like maybe the corrupt police officer, or maybe the conspiratorial town. Yep. As, so they're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Just just throw it all in there. We'll have we'll have Nick hump the hump the pinball machine, and it's gonna be great. Let's let's just do it. That dance of his at the pinball machine was pretty epic. Yeah. I gotta say, it <laughs> it was amazing. Since since I you know. I never really saw anything about this until I watched the movie, and now all of a sudden I see it everywhere. And, like, so many gifs of him dancing at the pinball machine is... And that was all improv. Uh, the, the The interview I saw with the filmmaker, it was all improv, and nobody knew what was happening. They, they just... They said afterwards, they just... The whole... Everyone applauded, and, of course, that's the least crazy thing that he's ever done on a movie, so... But uh, one thing I read about, and this is, I don't, I don't know what you think about this, but I had, I f- found some different feeds on Reddit that took me to other places, and you know how that goes. But mm-hmm. one theory was that 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 Nicolas Cage's character in this was possibly autistic, even though um, I don't know how that fits in with him having been a former soldier and things like that. But the reason they say that is this idea of him being very, um, he, he does things exactly the same way. He's, he's given a task. He has a compulsion to finish it. Very detail oriented. Um, they, they also pointed to him not catching a lot of the social cues from the kids as he interacted with them. Um, he just, he doesn't talk. And they said that, that, that sometimes goes with, with that, and I, it made me think about that, and I kind of wish that I think things are opening up a little bit with being able to have um, a variety of different types of characters in movies, and it, it's interesting to think about like a horror aspect with with people of different types, and that's just I, I don't think that necessarily that was written that way. I think somebody was maybe reading into that, but it was interesting to think about like the a future horror movie that that deals with that i think the babadook does that a little bit that's very interesting theory that the janitor is a is a neurodivergent because um as you know my, my beautiful baby girl is autistic and yes now that uh now that it's been pointed out those character traits again like you said 
it seems unlikely to me that that was the intent, but that's also how it could be viewed. And also, to have this character, you know, because clearly he's the hero, and he's viewed in a positive light. Right. So that's a really good, interesting take on that. I like it. I I do, too. I mean, if... If that was the ta- if that was correct, they wouldn't have had to change too much with his character in a way, um, because he he was you know very systematic. The cleaning, for example, very systematic. And then you know after he dispatched one of these crazy creatures, these things that came out of nowhere, he helped himself reset by drinking the same drink, crumpling it up the same way, doing things to. I don't know whether it's um, whether it's autistic or OCD or whatever it, it was interesting I, I don't know that that was the case but i kind of like the idea anyway yes the concept of ritual that really oh. fits in and also the fact you know his problem solving skills were beyond compare and True. that's a parallel that i see with my own daughter she um she doesn't really speak as much as you would expect a five-year-old to speak because of her because of her autism however she is amazingly intelligent. The The way that she figures out how things work, how she breaks it down, and the very creative ways that she goes about moving through challenges in her life, I'm constantly in awe of her. She's amazing. And it was quite the same with this guy. He employed, you know, found weapons and, you know, methods of... Um, you know, just destruction on these characters that I would have never thought of. And yeah. I'm a trained soldier. <laughs> well, there, you know, there was a trained soldier, highly trained soldier with a form of OCD in the Equalizer in both the series and in the uh, the movies. Um, and it actually helped him to situational awareness and all sorts of things like that just because he saw everything but he had rituals he had things that he always had to do so i mean it it's not impossible for sure and that's cool that you see some parallels there with your little final girl oh yeah i don't i don't think anyone would want to mess with that one she is definitely a final girl (laughs) another thing that i thought about as i was as i was watching that movie was that Nick Cage really, you know, he's a renaissance man. He's been in all types of movies. He's been in everything from action, romantic comedies, dramas. But he's been in a lot of horror films. And I kept thinking about him in a movie that I saw many years ago called 8mm. Did you ever see that? I did. It was about a a snuff film and wasn't he a reporter? Was that the one? Uh, he w- he was a detective. A detective, okay. But you know what? I now I'm doubting myself. I really hope I'm right on that one. Okay, let's just say he was someone who was an investigator, whether he was a reporter or detective. I don't he was someone either. with an investigating skills. But I remember that was a very very uncomfortable movie for me. It was one of those movies that was scary because it seemed too real. Yeah. So he has done that kind of horror, and then, you know, we have our our incredible over-the-top of The Wicker Man, which I reviewed for the Reno Gazette Journal back when I was working there in my early 20s. Oh, really? I unearthed, I unearthed my review of that, and I have to say I was not kind. 
think. <laughs> well, it, I saw that in the theater, I think, opening day by myself. I feel like there, nobody else cared. Um, I had watched the original Wicker Man, and I thought, this will be interesting, you know. And it was, it was interesting. It was odd. But it didn't, I, it didn't hit for sure. And it, it, I think it may have been in the theater for three days and it was gone. So <laughs> I watched that movie. I, I reviewed it as a DVD review and I watched it at home with my brother. And after we watched it, he turned to me and he said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I do not know, Matt. I I can't tell you, and I've somehow got to write this up, so <laughs> on to the DVD extra, shall we? <laughs> anyway, yeah, he has been in some good some good movies. Um, I, I think that, have you seen Mandy? I have not seen Mandy. I have heard great things about it. Yeah, it came out roughly around the same time period, and I think I think you'd like it. It's, it's a very different movie. It's more of a trippy movie, um, but he's great in it, and yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. There's another movie that he was in that I never saw and I always wanted to see, and uh, it was directed by Martin Scorsese, hmm. and I believe it was called Bringing Out the Dead. The yes, I, was, that's a good have movie. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's a really good movie. Yeah, I would recommend that one, too. I'm going to have to watch that one again because I've been looking for, like, a, a better high-definition def copy of it. But it is it is different. It, it, the way it's filmed, it's so frenetic. It's about, like, uh, I think he's a EMT. I think, like, Tom Sizemore's in it, and it's a great movie. I totally recommend that for you. And he's haunted by the ghosts of people he couldn't save. Yes? That's right. That's right. Oh. Yeah. What a premise. I love that. Yeah. I I, rec I I haven't seen that one for like 10, 15 years or more. I don't. So I'd have to. I don't remember a lot of it, but I just remember thinking it was outstanding. So anyway, I guess we're just talking about a lot of movies here. But I one thing I was going to say to to lead in if we're done with Willie's or if we're getting to the end here that I think that that Nicolas Cage was great in this I think like I said I, I kind of question them not having him talk at all because I think that's what he does best one of the reviews I read that was a poor review of this movie said something that I agree with a little bit it said um, it, it's if it's written in stone that a movie can't be classified as modern classic Cage, if you could replace Nicolas Cage with somebody else with without much of a notable difference. Now I don't know if that's the case because he kind of physically he he does so much in this movie, but I was a little bit I I felt like there could have been more of his personality in the movie, and then the flip side of that is in till till death the second movie we'll talk about is that i i didn't expect as much from megan fox and actually i felt like she delivered much much more so it was it was interesting that i went into these movies with an opinion what i kind of a, a guess of what would happen and i left you know wanting much more from nicholas cage and then the the movie could give us and getting quite a bit more out of megan fox so 
that's just, I guess, a segue if you'd like. Well, to that end, one of the things that I found was a, a tie with these movies is just like you mentioned. So both of these movies really only have one big name in it. We have Nicolas Cage repping Willy's Wonderland, and we have Megan Fox over on Till Death. And most of the cast around them is largely unknown. So they are the draws. And both of these people are known for having outrageous personalities, they're tabloid fodder, their antics are well documented, and I think it's fair to say that both of these people are, uh, are known a lot more for their celebrity antics than they are for their acting skills. Which in Nicolas Cage's case is quite, quite sad because he's won an Oscar, and in Megan Fox's case it's, it's quite sad because she's an intelligent woman. She has always been very outspoken about the way that she's been treated in Hollywood. She's been quick to point out misogyny. She's been very astute about her views of the way women are treated. And yet, still, no one wants to take her seriously. Yeah, so she's it was very, It was very, very interesting to have that tie binding these two movies, these outrageous personas coming into horror and showing us two very different things i agree well should we move on to till death yes i will read the synopsis of this till death after a romantic evening at their secluded lake house emma wakes up to find herself entrapped in a gruesome game that was staged by her husband handcuffed to his corpse hopelessly trapped and isolated in the dead of winter she must fight off hired killers to escape her late spouse's sinister plan. Uh, a great setup, I think. It, it In some cases, both Willy's Wonderland and this movie are fairly simple setups, straightforward, um, where even though they're, they're odd situations, um, this idea of what brings the horror, what causes it, is pretty pretty straightforward. In this case, I think um, Megan Fox's character was um, interesting in the beginning. I think um, to, to view this marriage that she's in, um, I think in a lot of movies it seems like if so she so she's in a in a loveless, uh, uh, basically abusive marriage it seems, and so she's been cheating with with somebody and a lot of times in a movie when somebody cheats especially early on in a movie they're they're everyone hates them you know they're made out to be like hated people in this movie i think they did a great job that whether she was planning on break th breaking things off with this uh with the person she was cheating with or not you kind of get where she was coming from immediately when you meet her husband yeah, her husband was a mega douche. That is the technical term. Is mega it? douche. Yeah, that's <laughs> very eloquent. So can you describe what makes him mega? I found what was particularly off-putting about her husband was the immediate superiority complex paired with his controlling behavior. He clearly viewed himself to be above her and that he was doing her a favor by marrying her and continuing to carry her through life 
And then one of the first things he says to her when she appears in his office for their anniversary dinner, wearing a beautiful black dress, looking hot because she's Megan Fox, and he says to her, oh, I thought you were going to wear the red dress. You know I like the red dress. <laughs> and she said, oh, well, I wanted to switch it up. And he says, that's okay. We can stop by the apartment and change. I mean, I just, I could feel my lip just curling up in that Billy Idol <laughs> sneer. I, I was so off put by that. And I thought immediately, I'm like, I hope this asshole dies. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew he was going to because sure. that part has been given away in the, in, in the, the little blurb of the movie that, yeah. you know, it shows it on Netflix. But I wasn't quite expecting for him to die the way he did. I was shocked. I actually jumped. That part really got It was me a good jump part. scare. That was a good it jump was. scare. So I mean, um, spoiler alert, the the whole the horror of this movie, I think it starts when, you know, you meet this guy. But it it definitely ramps up as he blindfolds her name's Emma, I think, in the show. Um, yes, blindfolds Emma and starts driving her out in the middle of nowhere to I, I think it's their lake house the lake house he owns or they own together and yes. it, they're just driving and driving and driving and and he's he's being cold and distant and a jerk the whole time so it isn't a surprise it's just this sense of foreboding that maybe he's taking Emma out in the middle of nowhere and leaving her or gonna kill her that's the way it feels you definitely don't get the good vibes from him at all. It yeah. it set up the sense of dread very, yep. very effectively. Then, spoiler alert, when she wakes up in the morning handcuffed to him and he shoots himself in the head right as she wakes up, it's... It was something to see. One of the things that you pointed out is that this movie borrows heavily from Stephen King's story, Gerald's Game. It does. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Because that's one that I'm unfamiliar with. Well, so I think that's one thing that for me made made this movie, it, it made it harder for me. And that's because um, Gerald's Game, the movie, was directed by Mike Flanagan, who he's the one that's done uh, The House on Haunted Hill, the Netflix series, The House on Bla of Bly Manor, something like that, Haunting of Bly Manor. Amazing um, work. Amazing stuff. And he uses some of the same actors. And he, this is how he got into Stephen King. I mean, he, he, he somehow worked out to be able to do one of Stephen King's books, which then led to him doing the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep, that I, everyone enjoyed. Everyone was happy with, reviewed, and I enjoyed it. Um, getting big names like Ewan McGregor. So here's somebody that is a good director and used to working with, with really talented people. And then I can't remember how, uh, Carla Gugino, I don't know how to say her name, but she... I think that's it. Is that it? Gugino, yeah. So she, like, she's been, I've seen her, in, I remember her in the Spy Kids movies my kids used to watch, and I, you know, I never really knew much about her but she i remember her in son-in-law with Polly shore okay yeah i remember that one too so she kills it in this show she is actually like i never really think i've seen her act until this show and i was blown away by it but it's a similar situation 
uh, it's a it's a little different. It, it isn't the he, he doesn't kill himself. Um, he dies though, and she's handcuffed to a bed to the bedpost, and um, you know she's in the middle of nowhere, just like um, the lake house that Emma is at. Um, she's dealing more with childhood trauma that she's working through. And she's dealing with the fact that she's dehydrated, no food, water, um, elements of like animals in a, an open window. And the, the true horror of Stephen King is that there's a, a psychopath that's loose from a mental hospital or something like that. And, and he finds his way into at this, to this cabin. So it is, it's definitely creepier. The acting was really good. And I, and I saw it first, and I'd read the book. So I, at first I'm like going, uh-oh, you know, I hope that this isn't that, only not as good. And the, <laughs> the, the good news was that it was different enough um, that I actually enjoyed it still. It, it, the fact that she was chained to him made, made, made for a difference. It, it, I thought it was very symbolic, uh, this idea that I'm chained to this, marriage or this relationship that I just cannot shake even after it's over. I thought that was great. Um, oh, oh, I thought that was great too. And what, since I never seen Gerald's Game, what this movie most evoked for me was the Saw franchise. Because the way that her husband had set up yeah. the, you know, the trap, the game, the way that all the steps unfolded to let her know more and more and more that she was done for. All of the little isms that he put into it, all of the personal touches, having her wedding dress, masking the safe, having her dark room set up with all of the pictures of them with her face scratched out, having the attacker, the man who, the reason, quick side note, the reason they met is because her husband was a lawyer, she was a victim, and she had been the victim of a stabbing during a robbery, yep. and her husband had put the guy away. To torment her, he did a giant poster-sized print of this guy's face in her dark room. Yeah. It was... And, of course, this takes place on their, uh, on their tw 12th anniversary... He said it was the steel anniversary. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, apparently, you know, it's a tradition that there are different materials that you're supposed to invoke in giving a gift to your spouse on an anniversary. It's never something that my family really followed. It's something that I certainly didn't follow in my ill-fated marriage. But apparently, whatever anniversary they were on is the steel anniversary. So he gives her a necklace made of steel unbeknownst to us and her at the time, he had this necklace specially made so it doesn't come off. And it's all part of the game. And I kept thinking, all of this meticulous planning, the way that she's meant to go step by step by step, and he knows the way she's going to do it, is very much like Saw. He always yeah. seems to be one step ahead of her. That's true. Every He'd, he'd thrown her phone in the vase and ruined it. He had taken all the sharp objects out of the house. He'd taken all the tools out of the garage. He had sabotaged the car. I mean, everything that you could think of. I mean, he knew what she was going to be going for. And he was taunting her with it because when she gets in the car and tries to start it up, 
There's a voice recording ready to play for her, of him, taunting her, saying, I didn't think you would make it this far. Once again, Billy Idol, <laughs> Billy Idol sneer just happening so hard. You're <laughs> like, we thought you were dead and we wouldn't have to deal with your smarminess, but here he is. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, we're chained to him as well. Jeez. Yep. And I think that was on purpose. Um, and I think that the thing that surprised me about the Megan Fox is that because some of the, you know, for some reason I just think Transformers, uh, because I watched those with my family, um, I think she was in, I wanted to say the first two, but yes, she was a prominent, right. you know, person, and in all of them she's basically running away from CGI monsters, and I think she does a great job of that. She's she's gorgeous, she's, you know, um, but she, she they, they didn't really use um, her, I, I, don't, I didn't think for her acting in that. I thought she was much better in, in Jennifer's body of, of having a presence and a character, and it was really a fun show. But, so I, I guess I didn't have a lot of expectations from her acting, but I've I actually felt like one thing that I wish they would have done, and, and that's, this is just me, but I, I, she is so pretty that they could have messed her up through the movie a little bit. I felt like that was an ongoing thing. I'm like, she, I, she like washed her face, but she's looks perfect. Like, and maybe she just is that beautiful that maybe that was just me, but like, it just seemed like, you know, in, in other movies, they at least give the, the final girl the decency of not having to have perfect hair and makeup throughout the whole show. Like, I don't know. Did you notice that? Or Oh, I did. As a matter of fact, I had to chuckle because after her husband gruesomely blows his brains out all over her face, none of the blood gets in her hair. She still has this perfect. beautiful, perfect, expertly waved, face-framing dark hair. And I, I think I that did. works just, against her a little I, yeah, bit. I just laughed. I'm like, you're telling me he spattered his brains all over her and none got in her hair? Yeah, that's that's not accurate. Well, like but I said, course, I think that works against her because it it takes the one thing that seemed to be used, um, which was her looks, and puts it front and center so much that it, it, her acting gets a little bit ignored because of it. And I think she did a good job in this show. I agree. I was impressed with her performance in this show. Um, again, like you said, I haven't seen a whole lot of Megan Fox's acting. I, I too saw her in Transformers and I saw her in Jennifer's Body and this, and I think she was also in This Is 40, but she played a relatively minor character in that. Yeah. So that's... That's my it. knowledge of yeah. Megan Fox's acting. But I I have long been a Jennifer's Body apologist, and I'm glad the rest of the internet at large has finally caught up. That was a, gr that was a great movie. And I can't help but think that given Megan Fox's performance in Jennifer's Body and her performance in this movie, horror movies just might be her wheelhouse. Yeah. I noticed when I was looking at her IMDb, she did three horror movies in 2021. Really? She did. Uh, she did Till Death. She did Night Teeth, which is a vampire movie. And then she did another one called Midnight in the Switchgrass, which looks like it might be more of, a, of an action than a horror, but it was still classified as horror. Huh. So... 
I'm like, oh. is Megan Fox going to find her renaissance in horror? I guess that would work. She is a Elvira, mistress of the dark type. Yeah. You know, she's she leans into the gothic, but she's very sexy. This could work for her. Well, I think that I would like to see her continue to be in horror and, and maybe not be quite so typecast. I, I wouldn't mind her not having to use her. I mean, she's gorgeous. She's going to be gorgeous no matter what. She'll be gorgeous if they throw a little dirt on her. And um, I thought she was great as a as a as a antagonist in Jennifer's body. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing her in something like that. But anyway, one, one thing I was going to throw out, and we, we chatted about it a little bit, oh, yeah. was the fact that where in Gerald's game, um, the main character is chained to a bed with, with both her wrists in shackles. You know, there's not a whole lot that I, I don't care who you are. You can be Jackie Chan, you can be, but it's going to be tough to get out of that. That's it's not easy. You'd have to have some kind of training or luck or whatever. In in this movie, she's chained to her husband. And, I mean, you know that animals that get in a trap can chew their way out in, in minutes. And I'm not saying that she should have chewed her way out, so don't get, don't get me wrong here. I'm just saying that, like, dragging that feller around the house i i just i know he, he he was a genius and a saw like genius and he got rid of the glass i'm sure and all, all that but i was like i said i mean those the front steel door you could probably go and just slam that thing i don't know 50 times and that hands off i'll promise you that and so i i know you have to suspend disbelief in a horror movie but i'm creepy enough that i I really think about these things, and, you know, I mean... What about the vase that he submerged your phone in? Throw that thing on the floor and grab a shard. Yeah, like... I mean, yeah. Start cutting. Go into the mirror, punch it until it breaks. Hang him off the hang him off the staircase and break it off that way. I, I think it could work. I think you and I probably would figure something out. It's true. But maybe we're not typical. We're, we're probably weird... That's all right. Yes, I I think Emma probably hadn't watched as many horror movies as we have. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's not a lot of bones in that wrist that are stuck together with anything much more in tendon. So, I, that's so all I'm going to say. Me, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't she get out by only cutting off a finger or two and then sliding it out? Yeah. It looked like she. It looked like she cut fingers. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So. She could have done that yeah. to him, maybe. She could, yeah, she could have done that. She could have done that. One but, thing that we haven't talked about is how her husband employed her original attacker to come back and kill her, which I also thought was a nice touch in his whole "I'm Jigsaw" type of game. And I don't you know, know playing, his playing name. the psychological terror as well as the physical terror. I agree, and I don't know that actor's name, but he's a good bad guy. He's been. He was in. I was watching a scene from John Wick. Part three, he was a bad guy in that. I've seen him in quite a few shows, and he's, I thought he was great. Well cast. Yes, I thought, and I thought his brother was also very well cast. The guy who was more sympathetic and reasonable, yeah. and of course he met a grisly end, because all reasonable people do in horror movies. <laughs> so. <laughs> yep. No, I think that the thing that Megan Fox does well, and maybe this is the kind of person she is, is in this in this movie she she's a survivor and she 
she's walking through the snow barefoot and she's you know to suspend the disbelief and she's stuck with this husband on a on a handcuff fine but she makes she does really well in spite of that and i think that's what i like about her in the transformers movies they might be cgi you know stupid cars but she's gritty and she's tough and you believe that you know i think she she showed that well in this one part that i really loved is when she was making her way to the boathouse She's dragging her husband. She sees the bad guys, and what does she do? She drops in the snow. Yeah. yeah. And I, I almost clapped. I'm like, brilliant. It's so simple, and yet it's so effective. <laughs> and a lot of filmmakers would have had her do something much more. Yeah, I get that. I like that. So one thing that when I was reflecting on these movies, I really thought about was that the main the main horror mechanism of both of them was entrapment and isolation. And I think we see that because that's what was happening to all of us during the pandemic. And I think that if we were to go into more horror movies that were developed during the pandemic, we would see that theme a lot more because that was definitely the fear and the sentiment of the time. And I don't know if I could even, if I should even say was, it may very well still be. I know well, that a I'm lot sure of that... people are still are still having trouble coming out of that. Well, I'm sure many relationships that maybe were probably okay, just okay, prior to the pandemic, when you stick people in the same house all day, every day, and you're trying to share an internet connection and, and a, a small footprint, it it be, it would probably feel like you're handcuffed to them and that you 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 know you see each other at your worst a little bit more i just keep wondering if this was an unconscious thing that screenwriters and um, producers and movie developers were leaning into because this is just how we were feeling it's the new it's the new sensation of horror the feeling of isolation mm. and I thought it was really poignant. My pandemic experience was a lot different. My pandemic experience was freedom. I had just left a, a marriage that was very regrettable. And right in the nick of time, I moved out to my new home and the next day, everything shut down. Hmm. So it was absolute lockdown at that time. So I'm here with my daughter in a big empty space, quarantined. And yet it just seemed like a bunch of possibilities. Well, that's but I great. do know that a lot of other people felt the entrapment, and I get that. And just because that wasn't my experience, that doesn't mean I can't empathize. I really do. These past two years have been so hard for everybody. Well, and I, I think a lot of people found some solace in the outdoors, and, and so some people felt like they couldn't leave for anything and maybe you know different states different cities were more like that i i spent a lot of time outdoors escaping you know i wasn't able to go to movie theaters which is really hard for me probably harder than i should admit but um i was feeling like my throat was cut when it came to going to the movie theater but i spent a lot of time outdoors and so i wonder if 
I think the outdoors is always a great setting for horror. I wonder if other people felt that too. I think there's probably a couple of directions that movies for the next four or five years might go because of this. Um, I think that no matter what, we all appreciate movies more. And, and I think that just like any problem, um, the best filmmakers have come up with, they came up with solutions. You know, they were making um, movies in isolation. They were doing it in smaller sets. They were doing it with less money probably um, because the studios weren't believing that they were going to get a return on their investment. And, and a lot of times that creates better films. Um, I think that Saw was a perfect example of that where they didn't have any money, so they made their movie in one room. That's, that's how they had to do it. And look what came from that. Um, so, and so I'm hopeful that we see some of these filmmakers that were still working and planning and, and making movies through the uh, the quarantine time and through the COVID wars, as I call it sometimes, um, that, that we'll get some new exciting. And what I like to think of is um, unique horror movies from it. I think some of the more simple ideas are, are the best for me and the more less cgi more real i love that so well yes i mean you know from the last uh episode we did i don't seek solace in the outdoors because of the simple horrors that you find <laughs> out there so, <laughs> i have to ask what was the first movie you saw when you were allowed to go back to theaters I'm trying to... It wasn't a good movie. It wasn't one I was even interested in. It wasn't a horror movie. I, I would have to go back. It was just a movie, and I was happy to go. I, I, I'm... You know, the movie theater has always been a, a special place for me. I, I think the there was a... It was between my uh, third and fourth grade, I think. My mom got my sister and I um, the summer movie pass where we got to go see, I think it was two movies a week for a couple, you know, eight weeks or something. And and I remember every single movie I saw. I remember how I felt about it. I remember seeing um, some of them were a, a little bit darker. I mean, they were all children's movies back then, you know, I mean, but we only had PG to encompass everything that wasn't R. So... The movie theater is kind of a... Spe- I, I, I hate w- what's happened with prices and things like that, and and yet I'm still a sucker. When I walk into a movie theater and sit down, I just feel like... I guess if I wasn't a church guy, I'd say I feel like I'm at church. <laughs> but maybe it's holier than that sometimes for me. I just love it. And as much well, as I love home theater, I still... There's some feeling about walking into the theater. The cinema experience is magical. I will not deny that. My debut back into the theaters was House of Gucci. And yes, it wasn't a horror movie, but Jared Leto's performance certainly qualifies. (laughs) I wish I could remember. I'll try to figure it out for the next time we talk. It's like, yeah, that's right, Jared Leto. I'm telling you how much you suck. I'm sure you care. (laughs) And that's a wrap for tonight's episode of The Dark Art. Thanks for joining us in our spirited take on the horror of 2021, complete with two hilariously controversial stars. We sincerely appreciate you letting us add a bit of darkness to your day. Until next time, friends. (laughs) 